Hi, welcome to our podcast. To learn more about Liverpool One Church, join us live, give financially and to get involved, head to liverpoolonechurch.com. We believe God wants to do great things in and through your life today. Enjoy this message. Just remain standing for a few moments. Are you not glad for God who watches over you? Whatever season of life you find yourself in, he doesn't sleep. He doesn't grow weary. He doesn't slumber. He's alert. He's on it. He's diligent over your life. Always. Let's pray, church. Father God, as we step into this moment this morning, God, where we're going to look into your word and see what it has to teach our lives. God, we're mindful of who you are. What a great God that you are. How good God that you are. Everlasting Father, faithful friend. God, you are our kinsman redeemer. God, you are the God who loves us intentionally and knows each one of us individually. So God, we come before you today. As we gather around your word, I pray, Lord God, that you help me to articulate this word in a way where we're going to take the ancient scriptures and somehow make them relevant to a new generation. God, I pray for the empowering of your spirit, and I pray, God, that you land this word home in the hearts of every one of us here. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Go ahead, take your seats. Well, we are in a series called Resist the Drift. I must say, church, you're looking slightly thinner this week (laughs) than you were last week. We started our 21-day fast on Monday of this week. And, um, you know, I think it's just been an incredible, it's been an incredible week for us. I think it's been an incredible week for you. It's a new journey for us. It's something brand new. But in this season of Resist the Drift, we're learning a lot about prayer and what prayer is and what prayer is to us. And, um, and I just want to encourage you to stick at it for 21 days. I don't know if anybody's felt like caving in this week and slipping back before even seven days is up, but I want you to just stay in there for 21 days. It says in the book of Daniel that after his 21-day fast, an angel appeared before him and told him what he ought to do. Now, I'm not saying at the end of your 21 days, you're going to get a visit from an angel, so don't don't be thinking that. But I do believe this. You will have clarity in the direction that you need to take choices you need to make and things you need to do. Because I just believe that when we sacrifice something of ourselves, it makes room for God to be able to speak clearly into our lives. So I'm going to jump into this message straight away, this whole resist the drift. We're looking at prayer because we're looking at how we don't drift away from God in this next season, how we can stay close to him and how we can stay anchored to him. We understood from last week that praying is so much more than us just shouting our requests for God. It's so much more than us just telling God our needs and then telling God what he needs to do for us. In fact, prayer is not about God doing something for us. 
Prayer is all about us moving ourselves closer to God. That's why it says in the book of James, draw close to God and he will draw close to you. But the emphasis is on you. You draw close to God and then God will draw close to you. So throughout this series, we're going to be looking at strategic prayer patterns that are in the Bible because there are prayer patterns in the Bible. We can pray when we jump in the car. We can pray before we fall asleep at night. We can pray when we're on the school run. We have that access to God, but the Bible has given us clear prayer strategies for a reason. And so it makes sense to me that we would look in the Bible at these prayer strategies and see how they apply to our life. You will have seen some of these prayer strategies in the portal that we gave you access to for our 21 days of prayer and fasting. It talks about a pattern of the Lord's Prayer, a pattern of the Tabernacle Prayer, a pattern of the Prayer of Protection, a pattern of the Prayer of Jabez. They're all patterns. Now, you might be thinking, well, if I can just pray to God anytime, any place, anywhere, why do I need a pattern to follow? Why do I need to follow something strategically? Well, my household are football fanatics. Like, I'm sick of football. It is on constantly in my home. And anytime I try and join the boys in watching this terrible game... Like, all I see is grown men running around a field trying to kick a ball. That's what I see. But when I listen to my household talking, they're talking about the strategy and the plan of the game. They're talking about their tactics. They're talking about what they've put in place because this team are intent on winning. And that's what I want to drive home to you today, that there are times in your life when you're going to have to put a strategic prayer plan together because it's okay to pray, God, bless me, bless my family, bless my kids, bless me. But when you're married, is falling apart and when you've got a health diagnosis going on and when there's a crisis with your kids you need more than just a quick bless me prayer you need to be able to know that you've accessed the very presence of God and God is hearing you and God is for you so if the footballers need a strategy why should the church not need a strategy so we're going to have a little look at some of these today And today is going to be a very different kind of message. So today, what we normally do in church, we talk a lot of heartfelt messages. We said last week, it's our job to teach you the word and encourage you in the word, but it's also our job to challenge you in the word of God. And this is going to challenge you a little bit because we're going to have more of a history lesson today because I'm going to teach you the pattern of tabernacle prayer. Now, already, some of you are looking at me, Tabby, what? Tabernacle. It is an Old Testament word. It was the first word that we would relate the tabernacle to the church. And before Jesus came to the earth, the tabernacle was the only way that the Israelites could pray to God. And we're going to have a look at this pattern. What is it? And how is that old tradition an old custom still relevant to us today. I want to show you through scripture, right, that how everything in the Old Testament 
points to what we know Jesus to be today. And so we're going to learn from the word of God because I think it's there for a reason and we can learn as much from the Old Testament as we can from the New Testament. You may remember when the Israelites came out of Egypt, they'd been in slavery for over 430 years. And and God sent Moses in to set the people free, and he led them out of Egypt. Now, those people that came out of Egypt, they were not the same generation that went into Egypt. They were a completely different generation. The people that came out of Egypt had been born and bred in Egypt. They didn't know what it was to be an independent nation. They didn't know what it was to follow the ways of the Lord. They didn't know their customs and they didn't know their culture because they'd been born and bred in Egypt. So Moses led them out. And then you remember they were 40 years going across the wilderness trying to get to the promised land which God had promised to them. But on that journey, they had to re-identify who they were and get to know this God and follow his leadership rather than being under the leadership of the Pharaoh. They did not know what their culture was all about. And it's a little bit like you and I, because I know there's many of you in here who are first-generational Christians in your family. Like you didn't learn about the ways of God and the kingdom of God from your parents or your grandparents. You come in for the very first time. And so it's a little bit like that for these people of Israel. And so when Moses got to Mount Sinai, we all remember the story. He goes up the mountain and he has an encounter with God. And when he comes down the mountain, he's carrying the Ten Commandments. And he gave these commandments to the people. Now, These commandments were not a book of rules. These commandments were a book of instructions if you want to live the best life possible. If you want to live a God-honoring life, Moses teach these to the people so that they may live a life that pleases me. But he also came down the mountain with a plan. He came down the mountain with a pattern. God had instructed Moses to build a place in the middle of the Israelite camp that was solely designated and consecrated to him that he could dwell amongst his people. And this plan was to build the tabernacle. And so in the middle of the Israelite camp, this tabernacle was built. And we're going to have a look at what was in it in a moment. But God has always been a God who's wanted to be amongst his people. And so we're going to have a little look at this because I believe that everything in the Bible is there for a reason. It's there to teach you, to lead you, to encourage you. It's there to help you. It's there to spur you on, including everything in the Old Testament. And quite often when we get into some stuff like this, it really teaches you who God is Because you may think you know who God is, but when you really learn who God is, you find out who you are. Because you know you don't know who you really are until you know who he really is. Before Jesus came to the earth, prayer was only ever received through tabernacle worship. When Jesus Christ went to the cross, he bridged the gap 
between God and man. That's why we're able to pray freely today. That's why we are able to pray in the car. That's why we are able to pray in the office and in the workplace, because Jesus built the gap. But prior to that, the Israelites would only pray to God through what was known as the tabernacle. And when you see the pattern and the process that these people went through just to draw close to the Most High God, it will help you understand just what we have today. And it will also help you understand how sometimes we forget what a holy God he really is. When the Israelites left Egypt, God softened Pharaoh's heart to allow them to take with them treasures And they took gold and silver and fine linen when they exited Egypt. And it was out of these treasures that the tabernacle was built. If you want to look any further into this, I've got a short amount of time and I'm going to fly through this. But if you want to look into this any further, Hebrews 9 gives a great teaching on tabernacle worship. It talks about the furniture in the tabernacle and and the purpose of it all being there. But... When you see the pattern and the process that the priests went through to draw close to the presence of God, it is incredible. But there is always a process to getting intimate, right? You don't just step into intimacy. If a man wants to be intimate with his wife, it starts by him telling her that he loves her. And in return... She may cook him a meal that he likes. May. And in return, he may give her a foot rub. And I'm going to stop there. (laughs) But what I'm trying to say is you don't just step into an intimate place. There's a process. There is a build-up to it. And if you want to be intimate with God, you can't just step into that most holy place. There is a process. There is... um, There is a process and there is a build-up to it. So I want to show you today how the tabernacle and each of the pieces of furniture within the tabernacle, how the priest would use these pieces of furniture, but how they relate to us and our relationship with God today. Okay, so the tabernacle was kind of like, if you want to imagine it, imagine like a marquee without a roof on. It was a great big oblong shape, and it had no roof on it. And in the middle of it, there was another type of tent that was completely closed over. So you'll see that going through the tabernacle, God all the time was teaching people, 2,000 years before Christ, he was teaching them about salvation, about redemption, about how he's a good God, about how he loves them, about how he forgives sins. And I just want to say today, you know, you don't, you don't have to know your family history to be part of your family. You don't have to learn your family tree to be accepted into the family. And I want you to know from the off, if you're brand new to church, if you are new to faith, if you are a visitor here today, you don't have to know biblical knowledge and biblical history to be accepted into the family of God. You're just accepted into the family of God because you asked Jesus to become your Lord and Savior, and that gives you a brand new start. And it's no more than that. If you never leave here with anything more today, know this. God's for you, God loves you, and he wants relationship with you. So 
The first part they would come to is the outer court, the gate to the outer court. The tabernacle was surrounded by a wall of fine white linen made up with posts. And inside the fine white linen, that was called the outer court. Now, anyone trying to get into the outer court without accessing it in the right way, if they tried to climb the wall, they would fall, they would fail, they would probably injure themselves. Why? Because the wall did not have a spot or a blemish or a divot in it. So there was no way of trying to scale up it because it represented a wall of righteousness. And no man can scale a wall of righteousness. And this is a picture sometimes when people try to get close to God through their own works. We try to do good deeds and we think if we live right and we act right, that will get me a ticket into heaven. But actually the Bible teaches us that there's only one way into heaven. In fact, Jesus himself said, no one gets to the Father unless they come through me. Well, on the east side of the tabernacle, there was some different colored cloth and that was the gateway into the outer courts. And that was the only way you could get into the outer courts was through the gate. Well, Jesus said in John 9, I am the gate and whoever enters through me will be saved. So we understand straight away there's only one way to get close to God and that's through a gateway and his name is called Jesus Christ. Jesus made a way for us to experience God's love with no limitations. When the priests entered through the gate, there was a noise that came from them. They didn't enter the gate in silence. They entered the gate by giving thanksgiving to God. Praise would be coming off their lips. They would be worshipping God as they came through the gateway and stepped into the outer courts. David himself knew what tabernacle was when he wrote Psalm 100. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Come into his courts with praise. Jesus is the gateway into the courts of God. Do you know how sometimes we come to God? Well, you never believe what's going on now, God. And this has gone wrong, and that's gone wrong, and he's doing my head in, and I can't cope, and this is, and that's how we enter the presence of God with a complaint, with a request, with a moan. But actually the biblical pattern says, start by entering his gates with thanksgiving in your heart. Come into his courts with praise. And I'm telling you, if you can't think of anything, anything that God has done for you, can I encourage you to go and read Psalm 103? Because the psalmist wrote, let all that I am praise the Lord and may I never forget the good things he's done for me. I just want to remind you, and I'm reminding you because I'm reminding myself as well. We can so major on the negative and major negative ninnies, that's what we become. We major on what is not going right and what's not going well, and we forget what the Lord has done. He forgives all my sins. He heals all my diseases. Amen. He redeems me from death. He crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. Amen. My youth is renewed like the eagles. Now, I am telling you, there are benefits to following God with your life. The priests knew it. So the most powerful way to start your prayer is always with thanksgiving. When they came into the outer court, the first thing that they would 
encounter is what was known as a brazen altar. Now, the brazen altar was like a huge barbecue. It was a huge wooden box overlaid with brass, overlaid with bronze, sorry. And on the top of it would be like a grill or a griddle, and at the bottom of it, there would be hot coals. And it was on this brazen altar, the priests would make sacrifices. They would sacrifice the sheep, the goat, the lamb, whatever it was, because that was the tradition and the culture back then. Because God was teaching his people that in order for sin to be forgiven, in order for atonement of sins, blood had to be shed. So they would go and they would call these offerings guilt offerings or sin offerings. And they would send the sacrifice on the brazen altar. And I'll thank the Lord we don't have to do sacrifices today. Thank you, Jesus, that he came and paid the ultimate price. When Jesus went to the cross, the Jews all it was symbolic that he was becoming the ultimate sacrifice. There would be no more sacrifices after the cross. He became the ultimate sacrifice. When his blood was shed, he saw you in the future. When his blood was shed, he knew you were about to walk on planet earth. And he said, Lord, look at my blood because I'm going to atone for their sin before they've ever been born. Jesus didn't bleed because of the cross. Jesus bled because he took 39 lashes, whippings from a whip with bone and all sorts in it. He took 39 lashes because they reckon 40 kills a man. So they just took him up to 40, 39. He would have hardly had any flesh left on his body by the time he went to the cross. That's because every drop of blood that came out of him was to pave the way for you. Every drop of blood that came out of him. When God looks at you, he sees the cross. When God looks at you, he sees that was the sacrifice. So we can already see the pattern. We come into the courts with thanksgiving and praise, and then we look to the cross and we remember the ultimate sacrifice that was paid. The next thing that the priests would do is they'd move over to the laver stand. Now, the laver stand was like a giant birdbath. It was about four foot high and about three foot round in diameter, filled with water. And it's where the priests would wash and cleanse themselves after the sacrifice. Now, the interesting thing about the laver stand is it was lined with mirrors. And it was so that the priests could see their reflection in the water as they were washing themselves to make sure that they had cleansed um, everywhere properly. They would wash their face. They would wash their hands they would wash their feet. But it wasn't just a quick splish splash. It was an actual routine that they would go through, a little bit like a surgeon who stands at the scrub sinks before he goes to do surgery. And he has a routine and he washes up to his elbows and he, and he has to do it diligently to make sure that he's prepared for the procedure that he's about to do. And the priests had to make sure they were prepared because the next place they were going to go into was the Holy of Holies. And so they had to make sure they were clean. But it was so much more than just washing the spots of blood off them after the sacrifice. They were washing, and as they were washing the face, they were washing their eyes. 
Lord God, cleanse my eyes from the things that I've been looking at. Washing my ears, God, just cleanse me from the things that I've been listening to that I shouldn't have been listening to. I'm washing my mouth, God. I pray that you just cleanse my speech. I've been speaking in a really inappropriate way this week. I've been angry. I've been short-tempered. I've been bad-mouthing people. God, just cleanse me. And then they'd start on their hands, and they'd be like, God, bless the work in my hands. God, bless everything that I do. May I do it for your glory. And then they'd start washing their feet. God, I pray that every footstep I take, I'm walking in your favor and I'm walking in your ways and I'm diligent to follow your paths with my life. Do you know the word of God tells us that we're to be washed by the word of God? That the word of God, when we read it, it washes us. I don't know if you know this about your Bible, but when you read your Bible, your Bible reads you. When you read your Bible, it reflects back to you what kind of a person you are. And your Bible is there like the mirrors in the laver stand so that as you read it, you can see, ah, oh, my attitude needs realigning. Oh, my behavior is off. Oh, my character needs pulling into place so that we can do these things. This is what James 1 uh, verse 23 says. For if you listen to the word and you don't obey it, then it's like you're glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, and you forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law, the Bible, that sets you free, and if you do what it says, and don't forget what you've heard, then God will bless you for doing it. How many people are crying out for a blessing from God? Yes, we all are. We all want God to bless our lives. But do you know this part where they were at the labor? This is something they had to do for themselves, to themselves. And the reading of the word, it's our responsibility. We've got to read the word of God daily and let it cleanse us. And then like a mirror, we've got to be able to say, what have I been looking at? What have I been listening to? What have I been talking about? What is it I'm actually doing with my life? And that word begins to reflect back. Do you know what I find really interesting is where the labor stand was positioned. So if you imagine it like this, they'd come through the gate into the outer court. And the first thing they would encounter is the brazen altar. From the brazen altar, they would move to the labor stand where the cleansing took place. And the next thing they would go is into the enclosed tent, which was the Holy of Holies. And I just find it really fascinating that the labor stands between the cross and the Holy of Holies. And you know what happens so many times? We acknowledge Jesus died and forgave our sins. Now we just want to access the holy place. And God says, oh, no, 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 you're missing something. You need to get to the labor stand. I need you to open your Bible because there's just some things in your life that we need to address. I need to talk to you about your character. I need to talk to you about the way you're being with your wife. I, I, I need to talk to you about that deal you make. It, it, it ain't good, but, but unless you're daily in my word. But you see, we, we, we go, oh yeah, Jesus, you died. You set me free. Amazing. And now I just want to go into the holy place. And we miss it. We miss it because we're all avoiding the labor stand. And so the labor stand, you'd go into the holy place. And the first thing, the holy place was split into two. So in the first half, the first thing that you come to is what is called as a lampstand. The Jewish people call it a menorah. It's seven 
lights seven candles and these cups at the top were all filled with oil and it was the priest's job every single day to refill that oil up because these lights had to burn day and night day and night day and night they were not to go out they had to stay burning constantly why because in that dark place it was the only form of light that that they had and so it had to burn day and night day and night anytime oil is mentioned in the bible it represents the holy spirit And it's our job. We need to make sure that the Holy Spirit is alive on the inside of us all of the time, never letting it diminish. I need the light of the Holy Spirit to bring me illumination and revelation when I'm reading the Word of God. You will never understand your Bible unless that light is lit, unless that light is inside of you and you're saying, Holy Spirit, help me to understand what I am reading. The menorah is actually one stem with six arms off it. It's designed to look like a tree. It's actually designed to look like an almond tree because you will see that there are small buds attached underneath the cups are shaped in the shape of small buds and they were shaped in almond blossom. And I just cannot possibly get into all that detail today, but this is what I want you to see. You see, I need you to understand this, that when God gave Moses the plan for the tabernacle, oh, you just read, read through Exodus, read through Hebrews 9. The detail is incredible. Everything, what was to be made out of wood, what's brass, what's gold, how it was shaped, how it was carved. And so Moses had clear instructions to make the menorah look like almond blossom. Well, it's designed to look like a tree with six branches coming off it. In John 15, Jesus said, I am the true vine, you are the branches. And you'll only ever bear fruit in your life when you're attached to the tree. Jesus also, when he was on the earth and he stood in the temple, he stood in the temple and he stood next to a great big lampstand. He stood next to the menorah. Now, the Jewish culture would understand what that menorah was. And Jesus looked at it and he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never be in darkness, but they will always have light in their life. So everything that was, Jesus draws a parallel from. I find it fascinating also that it was shaped as almond blossoms because almond blossoms were very symbolic to God for many reasons, but one of them is being the word blossom has a root word in Hebrew and the root word is diligence, diligence. And the reason it has this root word diligence is because the almond blossom is the only tree that's able to bear fruit even in the winter. Oh, and I think God's just saying to us all the time, Look, when you've got my light on the inside of you, no matter what season of life you are in, I can bring good out of it. I can bless your life. I can encourage your life. I can make the worst situation turn around for good in your life. Just keep the light burning on the inside because this is what I am able to do. He said to Jeremiah, I am diligently watching over my word to fulfill it. God doesn't just watch over your life. He's watching over his word in your life. He wants to know what word you've got in your life. And then he says, if you've put the word in, I will be diligent to fulfill it no matter what season you are in. 
They'd go past the lampstand and they'd come to what is known as the table of showbread. It was 12 loaves of unleavened bread into two rows of six. And these 12 uh, 12 loaves represented the um, 12 tribes of Israel. And this table was known as what is known as a food offering to God. Um, I guess in a way, kind of like a fast that we're on, right? It's a, it's, it's a food offering to God. Bread is used for all sorts of analogies throughout the Bible. You'll see it given as all sorts of metaphors. You know, it's a type of bread that God fed the Israelites with. It was, a, it was called manna when they were traveling through the wilderness, that God would feed them by bringing down from heaven this bread. And every morning they woke up, manna was on the ground. So the Israelites understood it was bread. It was the bread from heaven that sustained them to keep them going on their energy, to keep them going on their journey. It's where they got their energy from. It's how they were able to keep on going. So they understood this. And this showbread was symbolic to them because it was on the table. And what they were saying was, God, we know how you've always provided for us, but we need you more than we need natural bread. We need the bread of your word more than we need physical bread in our bodies. You know, Jesus himself likened himself to bread, didn't he? When, we were ha- when he was having the last supper with his disciples, he took the bread and he pulled the bread apart. And then he said to them, this is like my body, which is going to be broken for you. This bread, it represents my body. It's why we take communion in remembrance of what Jesus did. And it's why the showbread was on display, because they were remembering who God was and what God had done. And then they would come to the altar of incense. Now, the altar of incense wasn't like the brazen altar. It was a very small box-looking altar, had a few coals on it, hot coals. And the priests would take a bottle of incense And they'd tip the incense onto the coals. And as they did this, poof, this big pillar, this cloud of smoke would rise up. And this aroma would fill the tent. And this was significant to them because they were giving themselves a visual image of how God receives their prayers. Because if you've got through all of those steps and you've got to hear, They would see the smoke going up and they would imagine their prayers rising up to heaven. They would smell the aroma. It is why David wrote in the Psalms, let my prayer become like incense before you. And after they'd been at the altar of incense, they'd be faced with this curtain. And beyond the curtain, is where the Holy of Holies was. It's where God dwelt, in a place called the Ark of the Covenant. But actually, not everybody could get into the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies. Because if any of you have seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, yeah, you know you've got no business messing with that Ark, right? Okay. So they actually took all that story from the Bible. But if you were found, this is before Christ, if you were found with any sort of sin in your life and you stepped into the holy of holies, you would just drop dead because unrighteousness can't stand in the presence of a righteous God. 
So God was in this holy of holies. Now this curtain, some Bibles call it a veil, was so thick, it was humanly impossible to, to break it, to rip it, to tear it. But you know what the most wonderful thing is? That when Jesus died on the cross, at the moment of his death, the scripture says the veil was rent and torn in two. That curtain supernaturally tore in half. Do you know why? Because only the high priest was able to access the presence of God. But when Jesus died on the cross, God tore the veil in two and said, I want all of humanity to be able to access my presence. I want all of humanity to be able to walk into the holy place, the holy of holies. Because this is what the Word of God says. Because only the priest could go in there. But God said, you are a royal priesthood. You're a holy people. In 1 Peter 2, it says you are chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people. You are God's instruments to do His work and to speak for Him, to tell others day and night, to tell others of the day and night difference that He's made in your life. From nothing to something, I've gone from rejected to accepted because of what Jesus did on the cross. That holy place, the most high priest would go into. Do you know what they used to do? They'd tie a rope around his ankle just in case. He'd had a row with his wife before he went in. Just in case he had a bit of a jealous heart. Just in case there was sin in him. Because if he dropped dead, no one was going in for him. They'd just pull him out by the rope. But he would go in. And what he was able to do in that place is he was able to pray for the nation. He was able to pray for all of those people that could not access God like he could access God. And what I want to show you is this, that actually God has got so much he wants to do for your life, in your life. He wants to heal you. He wants to restore that broken relationship. I'm here to tell you he cares about that unsaved husband. I'm here to tell you that he cares about that difficult wife and that wayward child. I'm telling you that there are answers to be found in the holy of holies, but you just don't get intimate like that. There is a process. So if I could summarize all this up and help us understand what what does this look like for me when I'm praying? Well, I'd say this. We know the gateway is salvation. That's the first port of call. And I'm going to give you a heads up. I'm going to pray a prayer of salvation in a few moments. And if you've not made that choice yet to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, to walk through that gateway, I'm going to give you opportunity. We know we're called to come into the presence of God, to come before Him in prayer with thanksgiving in our heart. Thank you, God, for what you've done. Thank you, you healed me, God. Thank you, you saved me. Thank you, God, for my marriage, for my workplace, God. I'm not going to come with my list of complaints, not here, not at step one. 
I'm just going to spend a few moments just reminding you how good you are. I thank you for the cross and what Jesus did for me. It's the brazen altar. I'm remembering that he paid the ultimate sacrifice for me. I'm going to spend some time in your word, God, and allow your word to wash me clean. I'm going to amend some things in my life. God, I need you more than I need physical food. Physical food only sustains my body, but I need my spirit to be sustained and energized and renewed. God, and then I'm just going to visualize him just receiving my prayers. I know you hear me, God. I know you're for me, God. And then I'm in to the most holy place where I can get on my knees and I can say, God, there's a problem with one of my children and I need you like never before. God, I've got this situation in work. God, these things are happening and I don't know why it's happening, but I need answers, God. And God hears your prayer. Amen. Church, why don't we stand this morning? Everything in the Old Testament has purpose to the new. Everything that was, was a shadow and a foretelling of what was to come in the form of Jesus. So everything that was is still relevant to all that we are today. But I thank God that we don't have to find tents and build barbecues and take a goat and stand washing in public. I thank God that I don't have to go and light seven lights. I thank the Lord that I don't have to have a rope around my ankle just in case I'm not where he needs me to be. Thank you, Jesus, that you came. Thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for your church. Thank you, Jesus, that you're still alive and relevant to who we are today. And I thank you, Lord God, that you are a holy God who still desires to be amongst your people. Father, I pray for every family represented here today. God, that we may take this time that we're fasting in. Lord, just to step a little bit closer into your presence, to understand you a little bit more, to draw closer to you maybe than ever before, Jesus. And I'm going to pray now, and if you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there's no ritual, there's no, no dance and no funny handshake nothing to sign it's a prayer away because that God the presence of the Holy God that was dwelling in the Ark of the Covenant which we never even got round to explaining but never mind that God is not in a box anymore his spirit is here to bring freedom and liberty it says to free the captives I don't know what is holding you captive Maybe it's a thought process. Maybe it's guilt. Maybe it's condemnation. Maybe it's shame. Maybe it's fear. But these are all the things that hold us captive and stop us moving forward into the life that God has for us. And as I pray this prayer, I encourage you, pray it in your heart after me. 
and accept Jesus to be your Lord and Saviour today. Father God, Lord, I thank you that I find myself in this place hearing your word. I may not fully understand everything, but that's okay. Because the one thing I'm sure is that Jesus is the gateway to you. So I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And I ask him to come into my life, forgive my sin, and put me on the right path to relationship with you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you can take that message and apply it to your life. Also, don't forget to take a moment to subscribe, rate and review this podcast. To get connected or stay more connected to the life of Liverpool One Church and learn how you can join us live, visit liverpoolonechurch.com. Thanks again for joining us and we hope to see you again soon.